0: Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Hey there, today we're going to be talking about something that's very important, being a parent. I have been told over and over again that being a parent changes everything. When you have these little humans that are depending on you for food and for support and eventually financial support too, it's like you start to view things very, very differently. So I was really excited to sit down and chat with Chelsea Brennan today about motherhood and how this really does affect our finances and actually get into some really practical, vulnerable stories with Chelsea. But before we dive into that, I have to share a really killer money win that I am celebrating with all of you. So, so this money win comes from Holly. Holly says, Money win. I worked Labor Day, cashed in 12 hours PTO for that holiday incentive, and worked two extra 12 hour shifts for overtime pay. My paycheck was $1,000 extra today. My husband and I are booking a trip to Charlotte, North Carolina this fall. Hashtag money win. Holly, I am super, super proud of you. I think you did everything correct. You gave yourself an incentive by. Giving, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to work these extra hours, this extra shift. And the incentive is you're going to take a sweet vacation. So I think that's really the correct way to go when it comes to this stuff is to tie it somehow into something you care about, something that's like a reward for you. I really do believe that's where you start to feel success when it comes to your financial life. So I am crazy proud of you and super excited to hear about your trip. So hope you have a great time. All right, talking about motherhood, let's dive into today's guest. Chelsea Brennan is an ex-hedge fund investment manager, and she's turned full-time blogger who is obsessed with making moms feel confident with money. After several years working on Wall Street, she made this really big life change to choose family and passion and a positive impact on the world over money. Chelsea's a recovering perfectionist, I totally understand that, an aspiring homesteader, a full-blown potterhead... Yes, she does love Harry Potter. This is true. And she lives in Connecticut with her husband, a rock star stay-at-home dad, and board game enthusiast. She's got two young kids, two boys, a puppy named Stitches and 14 crazy chickens. Can you imagine? Like, I just wanna see what Chelsea's house and her life looks like. I would love to just like a day in the life of Chelsea. I think it's super, super interesting. In this episode, we get pretty vulnerable. We talk about life before Smart Money Mom is what she was doing, how her hedge fund investing career really got started. We talk about her journey to a balanced mindset when it comes to saving and spending. Misconceptions of postpartum and how this affected Chelsea. I think this is a very important concept that we don't talk nearly enough about This whole postpartum misconception and how that really does affect people. So, that was a really good conversation. We talk about money shame and mom shame, both of which are very real things. We talk about struggles that come with motherhood and a really exciting opportunity to join her brand new summit. It's called Mama's Talk Money Summit. I am obsessed with it. It's about 40 different speakers, all female, all mothers talking about different areas of personal finance and better in your life in general. It's killer. You're definitely going to want to grab a seat. It's 100% free. To go attend the summit. It's a virtual thing. So I highly recommend checking it out. There's a link in the show notes for the summit. And there's also a link for Chelsea's website. So if you want to learn more about Chelsea or the summit, then go to the show notes and make sure you click those links. All right, guys, I will stop with my intro and we will dive into all of the amazing content. I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend, Chelsea Brennan from smartmoneymamas.com. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Today I'm joined by one of my new friends, Chelsea Brennan from Smart Money Mamas. Chelsea, thank you so much for hanging out. It's truly a pleasure so far. Thanks so much for having me, Whitney. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, well, I'm super stoked to hear about all the cool things that you're up to. And I know that from the outside, it looks like you've really got your stuff together. And I think it kind of appears that way even from your background. But take us back a little bit. What did you do before Smart Money Mamas?
1: Oh boy! So before Smart Money, Mama's, I was in a very different place. I was running a portfolio for a hedge fund, uh, covering of all things industrials and metals and mining. Um, and then I picked up gaming and lodging for a while, which was casinos. So I was touring really small casinos all over the country uh, and investing in them. And that's where you know my career started on Wall Street. And I was on you know at Goldman Sachs for a couple of years, and then I moved to the hedge fund side. Uh, but that's where I was. Wow. And did you enjoy that job? Was it unfulfilling? Fulfilling? Tell tell us about that process. So, the job was incredibly fulfilling from an intellectual perspective, in that it's no two days are the same. You're learning about new companies, you're diving deep, you're meeting with CEOs um, from all over the world of big big companies. And that was really, really cool. Um, But it was not fulfilling from a having an impact on the world perspective. Uh, As most people would expect from hedge funds, hedge funds make rich people richer, which doesn't really feel like it's having a whole lot of uh, positive impact. And the hours are crazy. So you're working all the time around the clock. And when we were ready to start a family, that just wasn't going to fit anymore.
0: Yeah. Oh, I can imagine so. So take us back even further. Why hedge fund? Why did you decide to go into that path?
1: Sure. So I've been interested in money and investing from a really young age. I read The Millionaire Next Door and some books by Milton Friedman back when I was 13 and I was just really what? really into it. <laughs> I was a very strange child. Um uh, but my dad's business partner gave me books um by, you know, that he found on the Bogleheads and all kinds of things and and got Interested in index fund investing and in the stock market. So I knew I wanted to do something with money and something with investing. So when I started on Wall Street, that was my first job out of college, I was doing equity research, which means you're diving deep and learning about individual stocks and then writing opinions on whether portfolio managers um at hedge funds, at index funds, at mutual funds, um, should buy – not at index funds. Obviously, they buy everything that's in the index. Uh, Mutual funds should buy or sell a specific stock. And you learn a lot. You debate with those portfolio managers. You Mm -hmm. um, have some really cool conversations. You learn a ton about an industry. And for me, that was interesting. But I reached a point where I knew a certain sector really, really well. uh, And I wanted to know if I had the chops to actually – build an investment return. right? My That mm-hmm. first job wasn't actively investing. It was just writing about investing in a sense. So uh, I moved over to the hedge fund side to start managing my own portfolio and test it out.
0: That is amazing. Okay. So where <laughs> did this love of finance come from at age 13? Was there a story behind that?
1: Sure. So uh, I've always been really interested in money from a sense of like, I'm a compulsive saver, like to a, to a detriment. <laughs> um, yeah, I understand. Uh, that really impacted a lot of how I handled even just like basic allowance when I was young and when I started working. Uh, But my dad and his business partner ran a company that of all things priced mutual funds. So we're not going to get into why that works. But if you think about a mutual fund only trades once a day. So for those of you who don't know, like people buy and sell, put in buy and sell orders all day. And at the end of the day, Vanguard or whoever it is, squares it up and figures which of the underlying stocks and bonds they need to sell or buy to balance out how many people have sold or sh- or bought shares the mutual fund. So their software did that. So I heard about it all the time. I heard about mutual funds. I heard about the impact of fees. Um, And I was just really interested in wealth building.
0: Mm. That is so incredible. I love that you were into that at such a young age because the, most of us are like, you know, <laughs> 35 and then we're finally like, I get what a mutual fund is. You know, it takes us a little longer. So that's really awesome. When? Yeah, we were.
1: Yeah, we were. Uh, we were educated about it from a young age, and we also my dad's business partner, who who I love dearly, um, was early was doing fire long before um, there was before a fire was movement. Cool. <laughs> uh, so he was on me all the time about saving huge percentages of your income and what that would mean and investing. So. huge, huge props to him for getting me started.
0: That's amazing. I love that you were responsive to that too. I don't think most 13 year olds would really understand that. They'd be like, okay, cool. But it sounds like your parents did a lot of work to get you to the point where you appreciated that feedback.
1: So my parents had a different relationship with money actually. And I really, I really credit it to my dad's business partner who was a close Mm -hmm. family friend. um, And I think he saw the nuggets of interest in it for me. And like I had I had picked up Millionaire Next Door on my own and I had read some of this stuff. So he kind of fed into it. Um, But my parents, it's not that they didn't talk about money, uh, but they definitely always spent more than we had. Um, And that was kind of clear to me by 13, 14. I was starting to see that like, hey, maybe we don't actually make this much money when we're stretching ourselves a little too thin. Uh, And that pushed against my compulsive saver thing right of the need for security so i went even farther towards okay let's send save absolutely every single penny
0: Mm -hmm. so now i presume you've you've kind of found a balance between that like scarcity mindset of i have to hoard all my pennies and i can actually spend how did you get to that point
1: oh man that was a (laughs) that was an emotional journey more than anything else um and diving for me it meant diving deep into um where that was coming from. And I think that there was a lot of, you know, wealth equals worthiness mindset that came from, you know, my dad for sure, had a mindset that like money equaled power and love and all kinds of damaging relationships with money that got passed on. Um, but that for me, I had ended up tying saving to responsibility and that I was being irresponsible if I was spending money. and I had to reset that to be um, you know, the the whole one of my money mantras is that wealth does not equal worthiness. And I have to remind myself that often, but I also have to remind myself that like hard work means if there are things that matter to me and are valuable to me, I can spend money on it. And it's, it's still a work in progress, but it's much better than it used to be.
0: That's amazing. Okay. So you're working in hedge fund. I love that you showed your background too. I I do appreciate that. It gives us a lot more context of who you are and where you came from (laughs) for sure. 13 year olds reading millionaire next door. That's incredible. Um, so At what point did you decide, I'm going to start what at that time was Mama Fish Saves?
1: Oh, yeah. Why why did you decide to start that blog? What was the inspiration there? Sure. So I had my first child in February 2016. Um, And this is all in retrospect that I recognize this, but I had major postpartum depression with him, which meant that a little bit of my, my dissatisfaction with my job and how much I was working really got amplified right everything feels like the end of the world and i knew i just didn't want to do that forever like i knew that i wanted more freedom and i didn't want to be at the beck and call of my phone all the time so i started looking for different ways um to work different things i was interested in and more entrepreneurial ventures so i talked to a number of friends who were starting startups i actually got very far down the road of a um medical technology startup that wanted me to come do an executive role that I backed out of at the last minute. And that was December 2016. I backed out and said, you know, this isn't the right fit for me. And then I was kind of in that black hole, right? It was like I had all this momentum and energy to do something new. And then I had turned that thing down and I needed something else. And I was in a mom's group at the time of like 250 moms, all of which had kids born the same month as my son, their first oh, kid wow. born the same month as my son. And I had become the go-to person for money answers, right? So (laughs) all kinds of questions I'm getting tagged in all the time, Uh, dad or real estate, whatever. So I decided February is like early February 2017. Okay, I'm going to start a blog like I'll start just answering um, these women's questions. And I posted a post in that Facebook group and said, all right, guys, send me all your questions. And within a day, I had like 60, I can't remember, 64 questions that were going to be blog posts. Uh, and we kind of narrowed them down and we started the blog and I let them name it, which is why we had that really fantastic name of Mom Fish Saves for a while. Uh, and that's and that's where it came from. I wondered where that name came from. <laughs> that makes so so sense. my son has my son, my youngest or my oldest is a huge fan of the Pout Pout Fish books, uh-huh. um, which has this whole like line, like whatever. Uh, and so he used to call me Mama Fish and they knew that. Um, so then they then there was the Mama Fish Saves.
0: That's adorable. That is super, super (laughs) cute. Um, I want to go back to this postpartum thing, because I think it's something that is not often talked about, but affects so many people. So can you talk to us a little bit about um, kind of the emotional, the feelings that you went through when you were experiencing postpartum?
1: Yeah, sure. So for me, um, I was actually fine for the first four to five months after I had my son. And I think this is a common misconception with postpartum is that it starts immediately, right? That Mm -hmm. it's going to be this big thing. And you hear the horror stories of people hurting their kids or whatever. And for me, I was fine. And then I went back to work. Um, So my life got crazier. And actually the most common time for postpartum to hit is around six to eight months. And so I got back to work. I was fine for the first few weeks. We had 16 weeks of maternity leave. And then it started, everything felt Wrong. Like, I wasn't doing enough of anything. I felt like I was failing as a mom, especially because with my hours at work, uh, I'd get home in time to put my son to bed, and that was it. Like, I saw him for 15 minutes, I put him to bed. I didn't see him in the morning because most of the time he wasn't awake before I left for work. Um, so, I felt total um, failure as a parent. And then as an employee, because I was so distracted with wanting to be home, I felt like I was being a bad employee. Right. So, Everywhere felt just wrong, which came out to I have no idea what I'm doing, I'm doing with my life, and just a lot of stress and panic um, that started eating away at my own self worth, which is which is where that came from. Uh, and it felt that way for for a very long time until we actually got pregnant with our second. We went through the whole second pregnancy, which had its own complications. Um, I had three herniated discs in my back and was like only allowed to stand or sit for five to 10 minutes at a time. So I was like constantly standing down and sitting down and sitting up. And then my water broke eight weeks early. Luckily, uh, baby stayed in, but like that was chaos. And then I had postpartum again. And it was like, it was was crazy. It was really crazy. Yeah, (laughs) well, the thing that is a better explanation for it, but it's just, it's hard to analyze.
0: I can imagine, I can imagine. The part that I think is so fascinating too is, a lot of times when we deal with any anxiety, depression, any type of issue that's coming up, especially if it's very onset where you're like, God, what's wrong with me? I don't understand. A lot of us don't have the motivation to continue going to work, to continue taking care of kids and start a blog on the side. And so, how did the blog fit into that? What did you find it as like a creative outlet? Was it helping you deal with the depression or how did that
1: fit in? Yeah. So I'm a doer and a fixer, and I didn't want to admit that anything was wrong and that I couldn't handle it. And at that point, you know, before we had my son, my husband left his job uh, about two months before my son was born so that he could be a stay at home dad. He'd always wanted to be a stay at home dad. Um, So finances were on my back, which had never felt like a stress, except they did at this point. Right. Because everything felt like a stress. Um, And I didn't I didn't want to seek help. I didn't think it was that bad. So I was like, okay, maybe I can, if I had a different career, it would be better. Maybe if I did something else, it would be better. So the blog was a real creative outlet. It was like, okay, here's something that I enjoy that I feel like is helping people. Um, and he's giving me a sense of purpose where I don't feel it elsewhere. So it felt so contrary to already feel like I wasn't doing enough at my job and wasn't doing enough at home to, to also blog. However my son was a baby. So he was a year old. So he went to bed. My kids have always been early to bed. So they were in in bed by six. Mm -hmm. And uh, So at that point, when he started, we moved his bedtime earlier because he wasn't sleeping well. At that point, I wasn't even home for him to go to bed. So I'd get home at seven or eight. And then I'd stay up and blog from eight to 10 or 11 and wake up and do it all over again the next day. On the weekends, he napped for two or three hours and I'd blog then. Uh, and it was just an outlet. It, it really helped kind of help me find balance for a while. Would you suggest
0: that to somebody that's maybe going through something similar where they're going through postpartum, they feel kind of alone, a little little bit isolated, like nobody really understands that. Do you have any advice for them to kind of work through this and and get to that next level?
1: So I wouldn't do what I did. Um, I, drank, I did out for <laughs> I dragged it out for three years before I actually went and got help. Um, That was actually very recently. Um, Well, not so recently anymore, but whatever. Um, I would forget the shame that's associated with it. And this is not something that happens to someone else. This is not something that is a weakness. This is not, you know... You are not alone. This happens all the time. It happens to most women in a way that they don't even realize it happens until it's years later and they've fought tooth and nail through it on their own. And then when they, they're they better, they realize. Um, and it, there are easy solutions. It helps to go talk to somebody. It, it can help to go on medication, even though that's a huge hurdle for a lot of people. It's a huge, huge hurdle for me. Um. But go get help. And my number one piece of advice I give to all my friends and anyone that writes to me from the blog is like if you're questioning whether or not something is wrong, it's worth talking to somebody about it. Um, even if it's just your OB or your primary care. Like if you think, hey, I feel a little weird or, hey, I'm really quick to anger lately and I'm not usually like that, um, go talk to somebody.
0: That's really good advice. I I appreciate you sharing that because I know that's a difficult thing to navigate and it almost feels like you have to admit that something could be wrong, which is so hard for us, especially if you're a type A perfectionist. You're like, oh, Oh, no, no, I've got this. I'm good.
1: Yeah, you it's get into tough. a mindset really easily, especially when you're a type A perfectionist of like, hey, if I just worked out a little more, if I ate better, if I did something right. else, if I started a blog, then right. it would feel better. And it's like, <laughs> eh, maybe something's actually wrong.
0: <laughs> right, like, let me let me pour more stuff on my life and make me feel even worse about myself <laughs>
1: exactly. in the hopes
0: that I might feel better later. Yeah, that's hilarious. So you deal with with moms all the time. And that's I'm really. not a parent yet. I'm excited to be a parent at some point in my life, hopefully, besides my little fur baby. But – I'm curious good practice. Oh, God, is he not? <laughs> I've, yes, it's ridiculous. I've had to wake up twice in the middle of the night to take him out. Um, so one of the things that I always think is so fascinating is there's there's a financial cost to having children, no doubt. What were some of the costs that maybe you didn't expect as a new parent that some of us like me should be thinking about for the future?
1: So for us, Uh, We were really lucky in that I had full paid maternity leave and we had good health insurance and my husband, we had the ability for my husband to stay home. Um, But that doesn't mean that we didn't have lost income from him choosing to stay home to do that. And that has its own cost. Um, We didn't, you know, the biggest expense for us that wasn't expected was I was 100% on board prepared to breastfeed for a year like that was my goal we were going to breastfeed for a whole year uh and you know what my kid just didn't want to (laughs) (laughs) he was born really he's super tall and skinny he still is uh so he was born in the hundredth height percentile and the seventh weight percentile so he was big string bean um (laughs) And he just he wouldn't eat, and he had he had trouble latching. And we went, so we spent hundreds of dollars going to lactation consultants. I think we went to six or seven lactation consultant appointments. Um, we went to a pediatric ear, nose, and throat to see if there was an issue with his latching. Um, I got you know infections and things from trying to deal with that. So that was other medical cost. There's all kinds of stuff associated with that. And then we needed formula, <laughs> which was not built into our budget, and that is really expensive, right? So we had hundreds and hundreds of dollars of extra costs just from the lactation side and then when we chose to finally go to formula he remained a picky child and would only eat um pre-mixed formula which you don't know yet but it's basically like a mortgage payment if you can't buy the powder um <laughs> he would not eat it he would get horrible stomach aches and then c- continue to lose weight so um we spent a lot of money on feeding him that we just didn't expect and then the other than that i think for people who are worried about the cost um We fell prey to a lot of marketing around kids. And I think a lot of moms do of like, you need the perfect nursery and they need new clothes and they need all these toys. And we wasted so much money. Like my goodness, they, first of all, they're potatoes for the first like two months (laughs) of their lives, right? They don't do anything. So they don't need anything. Um, He could have worn a onesie for like white onesies for two months and no one would have cared. Uh, And then once they start moving, all the studies actually show that fewer toys, they interact with more and they learn better with less stuff around. Um, so making sure that you kind of pick a few key toys, a few educational toys that are around. And otherwise, they'll kind of pick up what's around. Um, my my youngest right now, who's 18 months, um, he loves pulling spoons out of the kitchen and climbing things and just generally causing a ruckus. Uh, he almost never touches his toys. So as far as the cost. <laughs> of course. Of course. We try to distract him, but he's just not going to have it. <laughs> it's like, no way. Uh, and then the other thing is is buy nothing groups. So now um, we pass on most of our kids' stuff and, and so many people in our community do through our local buy nothing group to new moms of like, hey, here's this bouncy chair that my son used four times because he didn't like it and it was $300. Do you want this brand new bouncy chair? Um or however much it was, I don't remember anymore. Ah, uh, but we passed stuff on through there. So, so find alternatives. It doesn't have to be crazy expensive. Um, there are ways to handle childcare other than you know choosing to stay home, unless that's what you want to do. Which is like, um, I have some friends that do nanny shares and interviewing, um, daycares really early. Hmm. But yeah, there's absolutely costs associated with it. I think a lot of it is saving an emergency fund because you're not going to know where that, where that surprise expense is. Like for us, it was feeding, uh, for other people, um, it can just be different things.
0: So when you were looking at your emergency fund and you got pregnant, did you decide at that time
1: you're going to boost your emergency
0: fund even higher? Was that already in place? How did that work for you?
1: So we had a pretty strong emergency fund in place. Um, what, my, I work, worked in a really strange, play, a strange career where two-thirds of my income was bonus. So I had mm. a base salary and then one day a year I made two-thirds of my income. So we always lived in a way where we only lived on our base. I uh, only lived on my base because we always knew as well, that my husband was eventually going to leave and become a stay-at-home dad. So we never wanted to build a lifestyle inflation where we were relying on his income. Uh So we had a, a pretty sizable emergency fund already. Uh, we had the cushion that is al- allowed by the bonus because we never banked on it. Um So we were in a pretty comfortable place. We did start at 529 mm-hmm. uh, as soon as I got pregnant, but, th- but that was the biggest change for us.
0: I love it. I think that's that's really awesome for somebody that is maybe experiencing pregnancy, and they're like, "All right, I've got eight months until this kid's coming." What do you have any suggestions? Like, if they already have an emergency fund in place, is there anything we can do to mentally prepare for the financial cost of having a child?
1: To mentally prepare, um, I'm trying to think through what what we would have done differently. I think the biggest thing would be to start to set aside money in your budget every month to kind of, if you don't have an emergency fund, start to build that up a little bit or just create a category for your budget. That's like baby bean or whatever you're, you're calling them uh, (laughs) at that point Um, that you get in the practice of like, Hey, there's going to be money that we need for diapers and food and clothes. Uh, Let's start setting it aside now and building that habit so that when it comes, it doesn't feel like as much of a shock and we don't have to shift our whole lives around. Uh, Do it when you're pregnant and not when the baby's here, because then it's going to get a lot harder. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is I know a lot of people talk about stockpiling when you're pregnant mm-hmm. so that you don't have that those big expenses like, okay, let's go shop coupons and get diapers. Um, I've seen a lot of moms get burned by that in that not all diapers fit kids the same way. Um, so yep. they will buy hundreds and hundreds of a type of diaper that their kid just <laughs> does not use, right? And then there's It'll no suck. way to pass these things on uh, except for giving them away for free. So I would recommend – you know, start the savings fund. Make sure the money's there so that when the kid is there, you can kind of buy what they need and then otherwise stay pretty minimalist around it. Have a couple of outfits in newborn, a couple in zero to three because you don't know what they're going to fit in. Um, buy the smallest pack of three or four different diapers uh, and see what works best before you start stockpiling. Uh, but yeah, I really just start building that saving practice. I love it. That's
0: really, really good advice, too. I, I wouldn't have thought the not stockpiling. So that's good to hear, but it makes perfect <laughs> sense. I'd be like loads of diapers like oh great now I can't even use them
1: <laughs> well and it's hard you see, you see it too of like sometimes formula is so expensive so for people yeah. that know they're going to formula feed they'll watch for big sales and they'll buy it up um, but formula expires which is mm. you know something that people forget or your kid just might not eat it I mean between stomach issues and, and whatever, it, whatever reason um, you know my oldest being a total picky monster uh, you just don't know <laughs>
0: <laughs> true, very true. Which reminds me too because a lot of a lot of times for women we associate being able to even breastfeed with being a good mom. Like, it's like the littlest things that I've heard people say before. And so that kind of leads me to our next topic, which is all about mom shame. So this is a very real thing. And I actually overheard this at a coffee shop one day and was like, holy crap, these ladies are like, they're terrible to each other. And it was awful. But where does mom shame come from?
1: Listen, I think similar to shaming people's money choices, it's something that none of us feel like we're doing 100% right. So there's so much discomfort around it, so much questioning ourselves that it's easier to point to other people and being and say they're not doing what I'm doing so they're wrong um because any other doubt we just can't we can't handle it um and I think that's I think that's the root of a lot of it and I think some of it too is self inflicted right so this pressure to breastfeed pressure to bottle feed it's often not an outright attack so the woman you heard in the coffee shop like that does happen right someone saying like i can't believe you're doing xyz uh but more often it's we see a post about somebody doing something different and we take it as a personal attack Mm -hmm. um like someone posts and says i never let my toddler watch tv because xyz and you do let your kid watch tv so then it's immediately your own guilt which comes out as anger um even if it's not something to be guilty about right like okay I was totally the person that was like, "I'm never going to let my toddler watch TV." But you know what? Sometimes you have to make dinner, <laughs> and like sometimes, <laughs> or you're tired, <laughs> or you're tired, and like an uh, you know an hour of Curious George is not going to kill them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I think I think it's a lot of just questioning ourselves is where the root of it is.
0: I think that's so true, and you're spot on. It's not just even with with being a mom, it's all across the board. It's money, shame, it's everything where you're, you're right. The only thing that we have control over is how we interpret what people are saying. And if we're interpreting that as I don't have enough or I'm not good enough for, because of these reasons, I don't do this. So therefore I'm not enough when we internalize it. I think that's where a lot of that issue does come from. So I think you're, you're spot on with, with moms. One of the things on your blog that you, you talk about is, that there's not enough education for women. There's, it's just the the view of personal finance is white men preaching about money. This is kind of what we are inherently told, but you were saying something different. You were saying that not only do we need more people to talk to women, we need more people to talk to women that are moms that understand diff- different things and have different struggles. What are some of those different struggles that moms have?
1: Sure. I mean, one of the biggest ones that comes up is time out of the workforce, right? Even if you choose to continue to be a working mom, you've got maternity leave, you got to go pick your kids up from sick days and school and you can't, you know, you don't, you feel guilty about doing work trips. And that impacts your long term earnings trajectory, which impacts how you can save for retirement and how you can reach other goals, Um and you have, you know, moms tend to think about things a little bit differently because as soon as you become a mom, you start to think more generationally, or at least most people do. I don't want to over, over generalize, but they start to think more, okay, how are my actions impacting what my kids will do or my grandkids will do. And what am I leaving behind? Which means not only that they're more focused on saving and they're more focused on estate planning and they're more focused on, on just being financially healthy and building good habits. um, But they also are more considerate about where they're investing dollars going, right? Like, are we protecting the environment? Are we doing things that keep the planet healthy? Um, So that, that all plays into it. But I think the biggest thing um, is All the work that goes into having kids and all the responsibility that often falls on women's shoulders, it gets referred to as emotional labor a lot of the time, money tends to be just one more of those things, right? So you're trying to keep all the balls in the air and schedule doctor's appointments and make sure that um, you're – moving forward at work or you're keeping your household straight. um, But you're also worried about the budget. And for a lot of women, they either don't know what's going on in their financial lives. They don't know. They see all the media of like no one's saving enough for retirement. And either they have no idea how much they're saving for retirement if they're not involved or they don't know if they're saving enough. Um, So it's just a stress that we need to talk about in the context of you've got a lot of other stuff going on that's really important. And this plays into it and can reduce the stress kind of overall.
0: I love this. I think that's so spot on and you're right. And for a lot of women too, it's if they're not involved in the conversation, they ask their partner, Hey, what's going on? And it can cause money fights and then it can lead them to shut down and not even want to start having that conversation because we associate it with all, we're going to get in a fight and it's going to be, I'm going to be sleeping on the couch. I hope people don't do that, but (laughs) we get to that point. (laughs) Nobody do that. Okay. If you need a room, call me. (laughs) But one of the things that I think is so difficult is to have that conversation to be involved. How do we insert ourselves into that conversation where we don't necessarily have to hold the burden of it, but we understand what's going
1: on? Sure. So I want to talk about two sides of this. So I think it's two thirds. I'm gonna forget the stat, but I think two thirds of women actually manage the majority of the household finances. Um and that record that includes the budget and making sure bills get paid. Um and women are rocking it in that side of things. So on that side where we often get comments from people is how do I get my husband involved? How do I get my partner involved? Uh, because when they know that they have to spend less, they're watching the money go in and out, they are trying to keep everything ship shape, and they know they need to be saving more, but that means spending less other places, uh, they have trouble talking to their their husband their spouse about it, partner about it. Um, so that conversation, um, we always talk about making sure you start with goals, um, not coming at it in an attack perspective of like, hey, you spent X, Y, Z, you know, going out with the guys last month, Um, but more, hey, where do we want to be in 10 years? Like, what do you want to do when the kids go off to college? Like, what are our goals? And then back into it uh, instead of trying to just go on the attack. That's never going to work. The other side of it is people who are who are out of it completely, whether it's the budget or they are doing the budget, but they're not paying attention to what we'll call like higher level finances, like investing, um, asset allocation, all kinds of like you know, what's our trajectory and that kind of thing Yep. Uh, for that one really helpful place to start, I think, is emergency and estate planning. So we're really big on that on Smart Money Mamas, which is making sure that you have your affairs in order um, if something happened to you, who would take care of your kids? How would the bills get paid? Um, what are you supposed to do with life insurance money? Do you have life insurance? all really big important questions um so we sell a family emergency binder that kind of walks through filling all that out and we've had a lot of people have success saying like hey i could never get my husband to tell me like where our investment accounts were but we sat down and filled this out together and i got to see like okay here's where the money is and here's how i access it uh so it's it often helps to kind of start from another way instead of just just jumping on like hey you don't tell me anything like fill Mm -hmm. me in
0: yeah, I like the the binder idea too. Is a good excuse to to have that conversation of like, hey, look, I got this online, and this is the stuff that they recommends we go through let's talk about this so then it's almost like that binder is the bad guy not you <laughs>
1: <laughs> well and it is and it can, it can say like hey like there's this investment section and honey i just i don't even know what's in here can you at least fill this out for me or tell me where to find this information uh and it's actually really helpful with parents too of like yes. for those those of us moms that are in the sandwich generation our parents are getting older yes. instead of pushing them about getting their estate in order saying like hey i just filled this thing out <laughs> Do you have something like this in case I ever need it? Uh, It can be a good way to open the door.
0: I love that. That's super smart. So going back to the whole mom shame thing, we're starting to see a trend of partners. And I'm going to be very, very like traditional male-female relationship right now. I know that's not the norm anymore, but I'm just going to go there. So for somebody that is saying my husband is going to be the stay-at-home dad and I'm going to be the breadwinner like you guys did. Mm-hmm. What are some of the the comments or how do we deal with that? I know we always have uncle so-and-so that's making some remarks about it.
1: <laughs> so we didn't have that a ton. We do get the um, are you babysitting question when my husband is at the grocery store or it's so nice of you to take the kids when he has them at the park and he's like, I have them every day. Like, this is just like, this whatever. Is <laughs> this is my life. This is my life. But we never really got a ton of pushback around it. It comes back to how comfortable you are with it. Uh, and this is mm-hmm. what comes up, I think a lot with both breadwinning moms and my husband's friends who are also stay home dads, which there are limited numbers of, but we'll we'll use them as a small sample. And he notices and complains quite a bit that the dads talk about it like this was something that was forced on them or it's temporary. So Ooh. like, instead of saying, hey, I've always wanted to be a stay home dad or I'm a stay home dad and saying it proudly, they say it like, I'm a stay home dad, but I'm also writing a book or I'm also doing X, Y, Z, even if the, that's not really the case, that that's not really their primary, um, they're defending themselves before anyone has a chance to say anything. Uh, and that kind of cracks the door of like, hey, this guy feels uncomfortable about this choice. For sure. um, and for women, you know, I, I think it depends on on your culture and your community and your grouping. Um, of all things, the first person who brought my husband being a stay home dad up to me was my father-in-law. Awesome. <laughs> Before we were engaged and before we were married, um, he we lived like 15 minutes from them at the time. He came over. My husband wasn't home. My then boyfriend wasn't home. So he's just sitting talking to me and he was like, you know, I was reading and like I found out that like a lot of really successful women have to have partners that support them and support the house. And he's like, I think Jeremiah would be great at that. <laughs> like, I, I, was like, I was like, okay, great. Oh, well, I haven't talked to him about that yet, but like, whatever. He's like, well, I'll talk to him. <laughs> I'll talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get him in line. <laughs> so my father-in-law actually brought up to him and was like, have you ever thought about this? And Jeremy was like, no, I haven't even crossed my mind what we'll do. But he always hated working at a desk and his, you know, his, his prior career that he was really good at was being a yacht captain, but that's not conducive at all to having a family because you're working when everyone else is relaxing um, and you're just constantly at someone else's beck and call. So that's how that came about to us. Um, and it was actually me that had a problem with it for a while. Um, and I had to to come around to being comfortable being the sole breadwinner because that's a ton of pressure and being comfortable with what that meant for him um, and what people would, would say or not say. Uh, and then the biggest piece was my parents. My mom was a stay home mom for 20-plus years. My parents got divorced Um right after I got out of college and she was pretty stuck. They weren't in a, they didn't have a savings position that she could retire by any means. She was 50 at the time. Um, and she had to go back in the workforce. She didn't have a college degree. She's doing awesome now. She runs a business, a uh, business, um, a business consulting with medium-sized businesses, and and she's she's fantastic at it. But at the time, it was really scary, and I never wanted I you know not foreseeing divorce or any of that things. But I didn't want that for him. I didn't want either of us to be in that position of being completely, um, vulnerable financially. Uh, so that was that took some warming up for me and mostly mostly from a perspective of we got to a place where if something happened to me he would be okay he wouldn't have to go right back to work we built an estate plan around okay if you wanted to stay home until the kids were out of college that would be fine um so that I wasn't constantly worrying about what that would mean for him
0: I love it that's awesome very very good advice there and speaking of advice you were Now launching an online summit, which we were kind of laughing about before recording, that it it feels crazy and chaotic and awesome all at the same time. So tell us about this really amazing project you're
1: working on. Absolutely. So we are working on the Mama's Talk Money Summit. It's going to go live from October 21st through the 25th. uh, And we have some incredible speakers. I'm so excited, but it came from a place of like, it was, it's not just financial education with moms, right? It's wanting to know that you're not alone. It's wanting to have answers to questions that come from people who know what the struggle is, who know um, what it's like to be a mom and manage everything else and be a mom and manage a career or manage a business. So we went out and found over 40 incredible women, most of almost all of which that are also moms, um, to talk about everything from basic family finance to investing in retirement, career development. Um, and then actually teaching kids about money, which is I think is going to be the most fun day uh, for me. And we're gonna we're gonna just talk. We're gonna get together. We're gonna keep it casual uh, and really make sure that um, tons of moms in our community can find other people that are living their same goals.
0: That's amazing. Is, is this a free summit? People can attend live for free. Absolutely. Wow. So guys, go sign up. How do they? <laughs> sign up so we've got your website link below and it'll definitely be listed in the show notes as well is there a link on your primary
1: website where they can go access and sign up for the summit not currently because i'm a total slacker um uh, but <laughs> <laughs> totally understand <laughs> if you go to mama's talkmoney.com backslash waitlist Uh, you can sign up now we won't have actual ticket registration open until october 7th uh, but you can get on the waitlist there we're sharing uh, bi-weekly newsletters of what's going on with preparing for the summit and some behind the scenes uh, so you can get signed up there
0: i love it i love it chelsea before we officially wrap up this conversation which has been so eye-opening and so awesome so i appreciate you doing this with us um, are you down for some rapid fire questions let's do it all right So my first question for you, what is one purchase you recently made that has made your life better?
1: This chair that I'm sitting in right now. So (laughs) I needed a new office chair that wasn't going to screw up my back. Um, So I waited for a really long time because I had a chair I got off a buy nothing group that I was like, well, this was free and I should keep using it. Uh, But I sit in this chair, you know, especially with the summit coming like way too many hours a week. So I I got a new chair.
0: (laughs) Good for you. I love that. (laughs) Okay, I'm also very obsessed with people's morning routines and I know you've got two little ones so morning routines might be laughable, but (laughs) what is your current morning routine?
1: So my current morning routine is that I set an alarm which is some kind of, you know, sick wish that I actually get to sleep till my alarm goes off and (laughs) my toddler comes in at some point to tell me he has to go to the bathroom which is great because he has to walk past the bathroom to come tell me that he has to go to the bathroom Uh, and then we get up and we feed them uh, and then I I pack my lunch and head to work I write my, I have 10 long-term morning goals, this is what you, we're going to get into the actual routine that you were asking about now that all that's done. Um, I have 10 long-term goals that I rewrite every morning so I write those I meditate for about 10 minutes and then I get to work
0: oh very cool so with the 10 goals are you just like you're just physically rewriting them to visualize them is that how you do it
1: yeah I want to keep them front and center and I have a tendency um I'm a bit of a dreamer of like I have big ideas all the time. So I tend to be like I'm halfway down the path to doing this and I'm going to go over and do something else. Uh, so <laughs> this helps keep me focused of, hey, this is what I'm doing right now. Um, once I check something off or I achieve something, I can replace it with a new goal. But yeah, it's just to keep keep me focused.
0: I love it. And then with meditation, do you do this like is it self-guided or do you use an app?
1: I use the Headspace app. I've That's always really cool. liked that one.
0: Very cool. Okay, next question for you where is one location you're dying to travel to
1: oh boy so many um we my husband and i really want to dive the great barrier reef before it completely bleaches out uh, which is one of those things where we were going to go in 2015 and we were like about to book the ticket when we found out i was pregnant and can't obviously go scuba diving while pregnant so we went to alaska instead which is a fantastic trip but i, I still definitely want to get to the reef
0: Oh, heck yeah. That'd be amazing. Okay. (laughs) Last question for you. In your opinion, what is the secret to financial success?
1: Oh, it's a minor question there, Whitney. Um,
0: Tiny tiny one,
1: right? (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) I think the secret to financial success is understanding and internalizing what your goals are um, and making that how you just how you automatically operate. I think it's good to have numbers goals. I think it's good to have the financial education. But as soon as you view yourself as someone who's financially stable, as someone who saves money, as someone who invests and you internalize that, the rest of it gets easy.
0: Great answer. I agree. Chelsea, thank you again so much for your time. For everybody listening in, smartmoneymamas.com is where you're hanging out. Where else can they come to chat with you and say that they like this episode?
1: So I'm at Smart Money Mamas on all social media handles. We love Instagram, so I am there every day. Uh, It's a good place to stop by. Awesome. Chelsea, thank you again. I appreciate your time. Thank you so, so much for having me.
0: Okay. What'd you think? I love this conversation with Chelsea. I think the part that really stood out to me was actually twofold. First, when she started talking about postpartum and how that affected her and how it's a very real thing that our society needs to recognize a little bit more. I thought that was really impactful. The second piece that I thought was very impactful was just hearing all of her stories and her experience When it comes to mom shame and money shame and how this really affects us, I thought that was really fascinating. And I'd love to hear from you. What did you think really stood out to you from this entire conversation? Uh, Take a screenshot of this, tag me on Instagram and let me know what really stood out to you. I'd love to hear. Thank you so much for tuning in. Do me the biggest favor. If you haven't left a review yet, go leave a review five star, please. If you feel like we deserve it, it means the world to me. And it really helps me attract some amazing guests like Chelsea on the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. I will see you guys later. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye.